0: Parker Jackson! He's my dream male guest of the podcast. This is a milestone! At last! It's finally happening. Thank you, 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 thank you! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Mr. A+. Today we have a very special guest, my dream male guest. Someone whose work I admire very much. This man is an American comedian whose characters are stoic, serious, and professional, thus a deadpan comedian. A deadpan comedian is also something I aspire to become myself. Now, everyone, let's give a warm welcome to my man, the man I tell everyone about, the legendary Mark
1: Evan Jackson. Hello! Oh my goodness! Thank you so much for having me, and um, uh, thank you for telling everyone you know about me. <laughs> That's all right, sir.
0: I, I often tell my family and friends about you, and then there was like, "Who's he?" And then I face palm and say, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and then I have to explain explain
1: your work. That sounds like a chore, but but thank you for doing the very good work of it. That's all right. How are things on your end? Um, Do you mean aside from the continuing global pandemic and the crumbling of American democracy? Oh, um,
0: just a quick reminder. My podcast has a strict no COVID talk policy.
1: Oh, interesting. Very good. All right. Yes, we, uh, things are as good as they can be. I, uh, things in my personal life are nice. My wife and I, back in January, moved from Venice, uh, what people call Venice Beach, it's uh, a neighborhood of Los Angeles, to a small town about an hour and a half northwest called Ojai, California, and it's a teeny tiny sort of rural tourist town, and it's really lovely. It's, it's been a, a great change of pace, and um, we wow. are very much enjoying it. That also reminds me. How are your wife and your cats getting along? Doing well, thank you. Yes, uh, my wife Beth and I moved up here in uh, in January, and our cats Snug and Penny are doing well. Are you a cat person? Yes, I am. Oh, very nice. How many cats do you have? Just the two. Just the two now. We've had, uh, throughout the years, my wife is oh. a cat veterinarian. She no longer practices uh, daily practice, but we... Um, when you're married to a cat veterinarian you are never without cats they they find their ways into your life and um and sometimes you find the the neediest and the most broken animals which often in my experience turn out to be the most uh lovely and and pleasant people to be around i've loved that i've loved animals ever since i was a kid i've always loved cats me too i've never really been much of a dog person I love dogs. I've never had a dog, which I think is probably unusual oh. in this in this world. I think you know most people have, especially as children, have some experience uh, having a dog. I've never had a dog. Yeah, cat. I'm definitely. I mean, my wife. I will tell you, refers to me regularly as a crazy cat person, a crazy cat lady. Wow, uh, that's very touching.
0: <laughs> she doesn't mean it to be touching. Yeah, it's mostly endearing, <laughs> but if, but also I've never experienced having a pet at all. Oh, interesting. According to my
1: dad, the vet fees are expensive. Well, that part is true. And some people think that it's uh, it's less expensive when you're married to the vet. But that is not the case. What that means is that the vet knows exactly what tests need to be done and follows the letter of Mm -hmm. the law and the best practices the whole time. So you you get a lot of blood tests and a lot of x-rays and a lot of diagnostics. But it's worth it. Cats cats are the very best people. There is also something that, that
0: does puzzle me. You're not a father. Um if you don't mind me asking why
1: is that? I don't mind. No. Um you know it's interesting. I have have never felt the biological need to reproduce. I uh my wife and I love children. We're surrounded by children, the the children of friends and nieces and nephews and that sort of thing. But I think I don't know if I'm just so selfish a person that I prefer to have, you know, time to myself and, and quiet and cocktails and travel. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's mm. never like my wife and I met when we were in our 30s. And I know that you can have children then. I don't know. I just, uh, it's it's never been something that, I, uh, that I've been moved to do. Mm.
0: For me, I'm not too keen on being a dad, but subconsciously, I'm kind of open to it. I feel oh. terrified about the the idea of being a parent. It's a lot of responsibility, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Not to mention the expenses as
1: well. Yeah, not vet bills, but, uh, but expensive. Pets are cheaper than kids, to be honest. Oh, I'm sure. Very few pets go to college. What inspired you to become a comedian? That's a good question. Um, my career is completely accidental. I didn't go to school for this. I didn't... Uh, this was never the goal. This was never something that I planned. Um, my career, uh, I, I went away to college. I got a degree, a four-year degree in philosophy with minors in political science and environmental studies, really having very little direction. Um, I wasn't a good student. I don't, I don't read well. I, I read slowly. I, long before I was a performer, I sort of read at the pace as though I'm doing a book on tape long before I was doing things like that. And, um, but so I graduated from college uh, a thousand years ago with a sort of amorphous, useless degree and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. The one thing I did know that I wanted to do was sail old tall ships, sail old schooners, big wooden, hundred year old, hundred foot long boats. So I did that for a couple of years after college. And then. I ran a fancy restaurant that I had worked at during college, and I sold advertising for an arts and entertainment monthly magazine in the city I was living in. But then I I grew up playing a lot of music, and I did a play or two growing up. But the the thing that happened was that alumni from the college I went to asked me to come play piano for their improv troupe. And I came and was at the first rehearsal for River City Improv, and in the first ten minutes I thought oh, we have to find someone else to come and play the piano because I want to learn how to do what you're doing and do it for the rest of my life. So it was never my plan to become an actor or a comedian. Um, it was something that I sort of stumbled on. I mean, I've always enjoyed comedy. I've always loved, you know, funny movies and, and uh, stand-up specials and all that sort of thing. My father was a funny person. Um, he had a wonderful sense of humor, also very dry, also very stoic, um, Although he did love to laugh, but I think that's probably where it came from. But in terms of, like, when did I decide or how did I decide, it found me. Oh. So with the deadpan style, (laughs) is that something you were always drawn to? It is what I find funny, for sure. I find uh, sort of the high-status characters that I often play, deep-voiced authority figures often in suits, um, doctors, lawyers, judges, um, Mm. demons. I find those people to be very funny because they are so buttoned up and seem to have it all under control that they're really very vulnerable yeah. and and failable. And that's a, I don't know, that tickles my funny bone like crazy. That's something I've always found very, very funny. I'm not sure if you know this, but I actually have a dry sense of humor
0: myself. And whenever I um see Sean on The Good Place or Kevin Costner on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, a lot of things that, those characters say, I just can't stop laughing about it.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad. I, it's, I, I've told this story many times, but it was always fun when I would get sent scripts bef- the day before a table read and be able to see the, the crazy sentences that someone has written for me to, to read out mm. loud, to, to say on camera in the coming days and weeks. And it, it was just such an embarrassment of riches to be able to do all of those yeah. shows, Parks and Recreation, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Good Place, um, oh my goodness did they write some ridiculous lines for me and truly you you're like I, I can't wait it's like Christmas morning Christmas Eve you're like I can't wait to, to get up in the morning and go to work and I get to say this bonkers stuff I'm so yeah. I'm so grateful for these opportunities what I really love about those characters is
0: they don't smile and when they speak they <laughs> sound like they don't care two qualities I wish my dad would have is that right? <laughs> yeah I'm would kind of prefer it, but he's not cut out to be like that. I see. I, I can't really explain why, but I've always loved that those kind of
1: characters myself. Me too. Oh, it's, I find it so funny. Yes. So I assume that you have a dry sense of humor as well? I certainly do, yeah. Some people accuse me on the internet of playing the same character every time, and... I guess I see what they're seeing, but uh, Sean and Kevin, for instance, are very different than, than are different from attorney Trevor Nelson from Parks and Recreation. Um, but I do think one, one undercurrent uh, from both The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine that, that the audience may be right about is that sort of game that's played a few times in each where somebody says, like, you're, you're happy, and you say, can't you tell? I'm basically squealing like a birthday girl. Yep, I can't tell. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the game. Because I have to say Michael Schur is a comedy genius. For those who don't know who 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 know he helped create The Office, Parks and Recreation and The Good Place and Brooklyn 99 as well. How did you become mm. one of
1: his regular actors? That's an interesting story as well. That's um for a lot of people that do what I do, it's a very long road. My career has been very gradual. I've been in Los Angeles since 2001, trying to do what I'm doing now. And so it was a very long road. But um, a, a lot of the Mike Sure world can be followed back to a single audition or series of auditions, which is that I had read for, uh, to be a, you know, a guest, like little five-line roles on Parks and Recreation many times, and nothing had come of it. And then... They created a show called Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and when they were when they were casting the pilot for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Andy Samberg was on board and Andre Brower was on board. And when they were looking to cast the roles uh, that eventually got played by Stephanie Beatrice and Melissa Fumero, I understand you, you spoke with Stephanie not long ago, is that right? I actually did, and Chelsea Peretti. Yeah. Oh, how great, yes. Wonderful Early people all. Year. When they were filling those roles... The role of Charles Boyle, who eventually became played by Joe Trulio, it came down to two people. It came down to Joe Latruglio and me. You know, Joe Joe was playing the role as it was scripted, and I was sort of sort of doing my version of it, my weird Niles Crane C3PO version of it, the dry, the the you know stuffy, the games that I like to play, and we improvised a lot within it. and um, And they hired Joe, which they certainly should have. But um, it had come down to uh, callbacks and uh, improv work sessions with Andy and even a chemistry read with Stephanie Beatrice because in season one, there was a bit of a, will they won't they romantic arc between Rosa and, and Boyle. And so we did all that and they ended up hiring Joe, which they should have. But that led to a lot of other things because the directors of the pilot were Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who've done the Lego movies and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and lots and lots of things since then. Um, They then hired me uh, shortly thereafter, having gotten to know me in the three or four auditions um, for a movie called 22 Jump Street, which I went to New Orleans and shot with them. And then um, a few weeks after all of this took place, the phone rang and my agent said, they want you for a role on Parks and Recreation. And I hadn't read recently for for that role. And they offered me this role of of the attorney Trevor Nelson from the law firm Foire Dips Winchers, Grit, Bebe Pekota Vorpextime, and, and it was all from that. And then Parks and Rec turned into Brooklyn Nine Nine. They offered me the role of of Captain Holt's husband Kevin Cosner. and then that turned into uh, The Good Place. Later, you know, it it's all meeting your people, like like finding the people that that love what you do and whose work you love. I mean, um, Mike Shore was one of the people that helped bring the office to America and, and make it what it was. And um, I've just loved his work. And so to get to know him a little bit and be friends with him, and I mean, more than anything, get to work with him is an absolute dream. He is one of the, as you say, he's a genius and he's one of the kindest and smartest um, and, and best people I've ever met. I certainly would love to collaborate with him myself if I was given the chance.
0: Yeah. And I also have to say, you've had time on many of your sitcoms and played three different characters in three different shows. What did you enjoy the most about these characters?
1: I think, uh, so one thing that I think has come into all three shows is that they are, um, as I often said on The Good Place, the podcast, uh, they're, they're very smart, very silly, very stupid shows. Um, yeah. The, you know, There's an undercurrent of kindness and empathy in all these shows. Um, They're optimistic. And the comedy is just super smart. And also it's riddled with dumb jokes, fart jokes Mm. and silliness and all of that sort of thing, which I also find funny. And I think that these people are uh, Mike and the writers that he curates, the writers rooms that he gathers are, are really good at balancing all of those things. Meaningful human stories about people coming together or moving further apart smart story elements and, and, uh, smart gags and then stupid stuff, which is really funny. And they balance it so well. It's like a, it's like a well-balanced meal. It's really satisfying and, uh, and truly enjoyable. And as I said before, I think, you know, the lines that they write for Kevin Cosner and for Sean and for Trevor Nelson, like it's, you know, sometimes going into this, like if this makes the cut, it's going to be a meme. People are going to take the few frames of video and some text over it and it's going to live forever because it's the it's you know repeatable funny universal yeah. stuff. Wife well, I started watching those shows years ago.
0: I don't use um Netflix or any of those streaming platforms. Oh. I, I still use a DVD player. So I bought oh, great. the box sets of of them all. Yeah. And I became very drawn to all three shows and I found myself enjoying them immensely. But I do have to admit, I do find the citizens of Pawnee extremely irritating.
1: <laughs> I, I think I think they're meant to be. Yeah. Um, th- some of those town hall meetings were so frustrating to watch, when people yeah. have their tiny little gripes about about various things. Yeah. That also leads to my next question: Do you
0: agree that hu- that humanity is a massive seeming seeming pile of greasy dookie?
1: I'm afraid you may be onto something there. Yes. Yes, I believe that. Birth is a curse and existence is a prison. Yeah, I think there's room for us to be better to one another than we're currently being. Mm. Yes.
0: I don't know if you've you've picked up on this, but um, that question I actually just asked, um, that was actually a line from Sean. Oh, I I recognize it. Yes, indeed. Great. I'm glad you remember it.
1: I was just going to say, I I think maybe because my lines are so unique that I've been given, um, a lot of them are still in here years and years (laughs) later. The the writing is so good that it it sticks with you.
0: Um, sometimes when I in, interact with celebrities or actors, um, I like to recite some of their lines from their previous work as a bit of fun, but also to test their memory.
1: Sure. I, I just wondered if you had a, had a list of other things you were going to of other lines I got to say on camera.
0: I'm actually going to do some impressions of some of your characters um, later on. Oh, in I love this it. Episode, but oh, but, outstanding. We're going to get to that very soon. Because i got some other questions I still need to ask you. Sure. Um, did you have any challenges on these
1: shows that you appeared on? And if so, what were they? I guess challenges could mean a lot of things, uh, for sure. The, I think that the writers came to know that I'm, uh, I'm fairly decent at big chunks of dialogue. So sometimes I'd be given long speeches, things that um, are fairly unusual, especially in American half-hour sitcoms where oftentimes it's it's sort of more rat-a-tat uh, lines of dialogue. Like sometimes you turn a page and it would say Sean and Sean would have the whole page of dialogue kind of thing. And so that's challenging because you want to be able to do it, you know, flawlessly and also have it seem like it's happening completely organically. Um, another, another challenge I would say is... Um, although i it was was something that I viewed as an opportunity was that uh for instance on on the good place, uh, a few times we got to do some stunts um, there'd be things that happened there was a there was a bar fight in uh, a bar called the puking moose in the good place when the you know we created an illegal door to earth and um, uh, there was a bar fight there there was a time that I thought bad Janet was a bad Janet, but she turned out to be a good Janet, and she lifted me up by the neck and threw me against a wall, and that was a stunt I did myself. So that's kind of a fun challenge. Like, that's something that, you, as an actor, you don't get to do every day in comedy. Yeah. There are certainly actors that do get to do that sort of thing more frequently. But for me, it, yeah. uh, it was something that I got to gear up for. And then I, I can remember... In the later seasons of Parks and Recreation, the name of my law firm got longer. It became the long thing that I just said. And so at the end of one episode, towards the end of the series, I had some, it was about the selling of of the national park to Sweetums or what have you. And um, I had done the take at the end, uh, it was sort of a newscast of me announcing something about when the bids will be read or whatever. And the director, who's a friend of mine, Dean Holland, said, great. Let's do all of that again, that already very long speech that you're about to do. But at the beginning of it, say, I'm attorney Trevor Nelson, then say the name of the law firm, and then go on to do that other thing. And I don't think I would ever on camera said all bazillion names of the law firm before. So that was a huge challenge that right, it was like the end of the day on Friday, and the crew wanted to go home. And I'm there trying to get through, hello, I'm attorney Trevor Nelson from the law firm Four Dips, Windshare's Grit, Bebba Pocota, next and And then I had another seven sentences to say and it took me a long time so that indeed was challenging yes i could certainly tell having
0: to remember all those lines on a friday afternoon when everybody just wants (laughs) to knock off and head back back to their
1: homes yeah
0: the name of trevor nelson's law firm seems does seem pretty long i think you just stick to something something short and blunt
1: I, I would agree, except it's, it's so funny to me because it's an inside joke from Mike Schur. Those are all very specific, esoteric terms in the world of statistics of baseball, but they all are acronyms, um, except for the last name Eckstein, which was an outfielder for oh. the Angels back in the day. They're all, it's an inside joke for all his baseball buddies. And oh, so he yes. just made it longer and longer and longer. Right.
0: But the thing is, yeah. I don't really follow any sport at all. That's because I'm not much of a sport person. I'm more big on railways, animals, and performing. Really? Railways, that's very specific. What What is it that you're drawn to about railways? Because of everything about them, the, the symmet- symmetricality of the railway lines and how steam engines operate, yeah, and just how appealing they really are. In fact, I got into Thomas the Tank Engine when I was three years old, 25 years ago. I found it very difficult to grow out of that show.
1: Oh, I can see that. Yeah. The people are people are big fans of that. I'm trying to think of what I just watched. Oh, there's a movie that references Thomas the Tank Engine, uh, called Bullet Train that I just saw recently with my wife. Oh, it's not a children's thing. It's uh, very violent, and uh, and it's like a it's like a blockbuster tentpole movie. Um, I see. But one of the characters loves Thomas the Tank Engine and talks about all the various characters.
0: I am a little bit curious. Have you ever seen a show called Love on the Spectrum? I haven't, no. Oh, it's a dating show on Netflix. I was actually on that. How was that? It was very lovely. I enjoyed every moment of it, but I didn't find someone in the end. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's all right. Um, it's a bit of a slow work in progress at the moment. I think that's true of a lot of people. I didn't have this on my script, but um, was it difficult playing a gay character?
1: Difficult? No, not at all. No, um, just like with all the characters that I play, you seek just to tell the truth of that person's reality, and um, that was actually a very fun thing. Um, as I said a little bit ago, we <clears throat> I was offered that role. It's not something I auditioned for, because when you audition for a role, you, at first with the casting directors, get to kind of go through it, and and they'll steer you a little bit and say, that was great. The producers are looking for this character to be a little bit more like this. Can you do that? Let's... Do it again, and and that sort of thing. But when it's offered to you, you don't you don't have those opportunities to meet with the casting directors and later the director and producers mm-hmm. and writers. So, the first day I was playing Kevin Cosner, we were shooting a scene for an episode called "The Party," and we were shooting a actually a bit of a a bit of a uh, spat, a bit of a mild argument between Holt and Kevin in our bedroom upstairs uh, during a party mm-hmm. we were throwing, and. Everybody's getting ready to to shoot and uh rolling sound and rolling camera and getting ready and i we hadn't talked about the character at all, and I said to my friend Dan Gore, the showrunner, "Hang on, hang on, hang on. Like who is this guy?" and Dan turned and said, "He's you." and I was like oh well i I know how to do that. I can do that so you you know you find little games to play little character um affectations and um sort of thought processes and that sort of thing to. Differentiate himself, uh, that character, from yourself and from other characters that you've played on television. But um, but it was so fun to uh, to play somebody that is that, as yeah. as Andy Samberg's character said, that hella specific, uh, you know. But no, I, that Kevin Costner is a a character that I love. Raymond told me that the element of surprise was crucial. Cool. <laughs> so he's a great teacher. But I will say this: if you're going to do a throat punch, it is key that you say something cool afterwards, like. Choke on that. Right, but they're not choking. They're experiencing airway trauma. Ooh, how about? Better get some corticosteroids to treat that laryngeal fracture. Okay, yeah, that's very informative and quite polite. But maybe add a dirt bag on the end? But a dirt bag is a useful part of a vacuum. I don't see how it's an insult. He's actually one of my favorite characters as well. Thank you, me too. The other
0: one is Captain Holt. Oh my goodness so great. I've often said to my sister, imagine having Captain Holt as as a dad and her response is always he's too serious.
1: He's pretty serious. Yeah. There's not a lot of of goofing around in a in a uh, you know, typical sense with Kevin and Holt. They're very matter-of-fact. Yeah. They're pretty literal. They they generally mean what they say. There's not a lot of nuance or yeah. metaphor or any of that sort of thing. In fact, my speech pattern is quite formal myself.
0: I can sense that. Yes. I see that. But I also have to say, um, Kevin Costner doesn't seem like a gay man to me. He seems more like a straight man.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I think it. I think it's an opportunity to think about what it means to seem like a gay person. I think gay people come in all types, just like straight people. Yeah, I think that uh, that's one of the things I loved most about Kevin and Holt is that they they were, you know, two people that loved each other very much, and uh, and that is a very normal. Middle of the road thing. They're, you know, they're specific and they're weirdos in other directions, but they're not strange because of who they love. They, uh, yeah, they're just themselves. And I even agree with, with Jake Pro's Parole, assessment of of
0: Holt and Kevin that he wants them to, to be his dads. I don't
1: mind <laughs> that. Yeah. We get, uh, I still send a lot of things like that on the internet from fans that, um, <laughs> are, that, uh, in an even weirder way, I want you to be my dads. And in an weird, even Weirder way I want you guys To be my dads That is weirder yeah. And I think Andy made up Andy improvised That on the day Where I think I think he says Yeah I got stuff
0: <laughs> Yeah That wasn't a very in the funny spirit. guy
1: Andy Sandberg's A lovely person And as you say Like obviously Hilarious But also And this is a Common thread With so many Of the people That I work with Especially on these Mike Shore shows Andy's a super sweet Very kind Like a good Good person you
0: host two podcasts, the one of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place. Um, what do you
1: enjoy about podcasts? I loved about those podcasts that I got to spend hours and hours and hours talking to some of the most creative and uh, collaborative, funny, smart people in the world. Um, people are responsible for creating all aspects of television shows that I uh, loved before I was a, a part of them, especially Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mike Sure has what he calls a—I don't know if he calls it, but other people call it, I guess—a no-jerks rule. So everybody that works on these shows are good at it, good at their jobs. Um, They have a good attitude, and they're not—you know, there's no defensiveness and no ego. They're just very good at it. And because the shows run so smoothly, he's able to hire the very best people who are so skilled and so experienced, and it just makes everything fun. So everywhere Mm. you look on those shows, things are— either accurate or it's a joke or what have you. I mean, down to the tiniest element of set dressing, there'll be something that somebody's gone out of their way and could have done more quickly and more easily, but they've made it fit the show even better. And that's the thing that I really enjoyed was um, sort of getting an education in the production of television and how the writing process works and how the production process works of, of... how they lay out sets and costumes and uh, uh, furniture within a space and properties and um, all of it. That was an absolute joy to get to talk to so many creative people.
0: Yeah, Michael sure certainly seems to know what he's
1: doing. He certainly does. I think he's got a bright future. (laughs)
0: That's good. In fact, on those two podcasts that you've done, Uh you've spoken to several people that I've dreamed on having on this podcast as well. Jamila Jamil was one of them. Sure. And so is
1: Kristen Bell. I absolutely adore her. Me too. Oh, I know. Yeah, the wonderful people. I mean, that's, that's another great side effect of being a part of these, these shows is that you meet yeah. and get to work with and oftentimes become friends with these yeah. legends. Yeah. I am a little bit curious.
0: Have you ever played a lead role in a film or series before?
1: I have, yeah. Um, not much, but I was part of a, uh, two seasons of a show on Fox Digital, I don't know how long ago, called Suit Up. And it was, um, it was a really fun project where I played a, um, sort of a fixer, sort of a person that's brought in for crisis management. It was the story of a fictitious Southern American uh, university that was going through a sports scandal. And, um, and I was brought in to uh, to play the role of somebody there to smooth things over and fix it and get the school back on track. And I think we did, I'm not certain, but I think maybe two seasons of eight episodes each of, of uh, this television show. And I, I was the lead in it. And I got to work with uh, an actor who's still a friend of mine a uh, legend named Barry Corbin, who was from a movie called War Games. He played General Beringer in War Games. He played Maurice in a show called Northern Exposure. Um, he's been a part of of tons and tons of things. He was in No Country for Old Men. Um, and he's a legitimate cowboy and just a, a really cool, really cool actor. And so that was a wonderful part of that. But that, that I think... Um, Maybe there. Are. I guess I, maybe in some independent films I've, I've been sort of the focus of it, sort of the lead role. But Suit Up's probably the closest. Wow! Although I do have to admit, I've never actually seen Suit Up. I don't know if it's readily findable. It's probably out there somewhere, but I'd have to I'd have to look myself. Hmm. I also have to ask you, what's on the horizon for you? Can you share
0: any any news with us here down under?
1: Um I can say that I'm working. I don't think I'm allowed to divulge it. Uh but I'm currently oh. shooting a series for Apple TV that um that's based on a novel that uh it's set back in the 50s and um and I think that it'll be um, probably, you know, another six, eight months, probably before it, before it debuts. You'll know it when it comes because it's, um, I've gotten to be reunited with some people that I was in a, a big movie with several years back. And who are they? This may devolve, uh, who cares? Um, I got, I've, uh, been able to hang out with and work with a couple of my friends from Kong Skull Island, Thomas Mann and Brie Larson. Uh, how's that going? Oh, it's the best. Yeah, it's, I haven't seen them in several years. Brie uh, won an Oscar during Kong for the movie called Room, and she's gone on to play Captain Marvel, and now she's part of the Fast and Furious franchise. So she's busy, 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 um, and I haven't seen her in an awfully long time. So it's been really nice to reconnect. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Yeah. Savvy,
0: busy schedules can often interfere with your personal lives. I, I, it's a problem I wish I had. And um, I also am quite interested in some of your other colleagues that you've worked with on on shows before, like Nick Offerman. Are,
1: are you familiar with him? Very familiar. We were texting about 30 minutes ago, yeah. Um, I'm going to see him this weekend. He's a part of the show that, uh, that I'm doing in downtown Los Angeles. I, my wife and I created a charity 10 years ago to, called the Detroit Creativity Project. We teach improv free of charge in Detroit middle and high schools. So we're doing a big fundraising show at the theater at the Ace Hotel in downtown Los Angeles this coming Saturday evening, it's Nick Offerman and Nicole Byer and Jason Manzukis and Mary Beth Monroe um, and uh, Carl Tart and Mary Holland and Tony Newsom and Bobby Moynihan and Tim Meadows. Um, some surprises yeah. I think are still coming, but uh, yeah, it's going to be so fun. But yeah, Nick is uh, Nick's <laughs> another funny. very good dude. I saw that post on Instagram. Yeah, because yep. I actually follow you on Instagram. Oh, very
0: cool. I'll have to follow you back. Sounds perfect. I'm known as Mr. A-plus Michael. Very cool. Okay, I'll find it. Or Michael Theo. Great. And um, I also have to ask you, do you happen to have any siblings on the autism spectrum? I don't think either of my siblings is on the autism spectrum, no. Well, I certainly am. I only have Asperger's, though. It's a milder form of autism.
1: We just have difficulty maintaining friendships. I see, yeah. And, and with social skills as well. You know, I recognize, uh, I've not been diagnosed, but I recognize some aspects of that in my own life. That, um, oh. you know, when you're an actor and a comedian, people always assume that you're super outgoing and gregarious and an extrovert. And I know i know about myself and I know several people in the business that, uh, that do what I do, that I think mm. are closer to having uh, those difficulties keep maintaining friendships and um and i certainly have social anxiety that people wouldn't guess that i would have because i'm Mm. you know a recognizable person and i'm on television and i play all these funny roles but i that's certainly something that i recognize especially of late Mm. in myself wow we all recognize something at some point in our
0: lives for sure yeah as i probably mentioned earlier i actually am a Huge fan of deadpan comedy myself, and I've actually yeah. been working on it for quite some time. I've even been going to acting classes. Um, oh, good for you. And I've, because I'm actually pursuing an acting career myself. That's great. I was wondering if we could um, possibly have a conversation using our best deadpan voices, you know, improvisation, if you will.
1: Sure, of course. Oh, I'm in. <clears throat> hey, Dad. Son. How was your weekend? I mean, isn't it clear? I'm furious. My weekend was a travesty. Really? I couldn't tell. Well, if you look beyond where I am standing, the house you grew up in has burned to the ground. Wow. Isn't that interesting? The car exploded, and the entire farm has been washed away. Yes, I know. How are
0: you? I'm all right. How about you?
1: I've been very upset these past few days, but I'll confess, it's wearing off.
0: Has it been wearing off?
1: Somewhat. I'm currently at 80% furious. You don't look like it. When you called, you said you had urgent news. What's happening?
0: I should probably tell you that your mother
1: has some kind of rare disease. My mother, your grandmother has some sort of rare disease. Did she elaborate? Will you tell me more? The, doc- the doctors didn't tell me what it was. That's unkind of them.
0: Yes, or no. It's a
1: travesty. To saddle you with such, such bad news. Yes. Yep. And right now I'm inconsolable. Well, that's clear. I would offer you a, a tissue, but they've
0: burned. That won't be necessary. I keep hanky hacking my pocket at all times. The apple does not far fall from the tree. No, it does not. And if you happen to have any tears, you're, you're welcome to use mine for all I care.
1: Tears? I hadn't considered that. Let me try. Nothing so far. I thought not. S- still attempting crying. And nothing. Okay. But how can that be possible? You're inconsolable. I find it gauche to express emotion. I'm sorry I've divulged this much.
0: <laughs> so that's that's improvisation, right? <laughs> that was so fun. Yep. Definitely was a lot of yes, fun.
1: Yes, that was really fun.
0: <laughs> and in fact, I kind of like to show you some impressions of um Kevin Costner and Sean, if don't mind. Yes, of course. Indeed, humanity is a massive steaming pile of greasy dookie. And now all this talk of Dookie's made me hungry. So good. Thank you, sir. You know, the laser pointer is a bit of a misnomer. It is simply a laser. The pointer is you. I remember that very well. I can tell you exactly where we shot that. Yep. We built our own door. It's invisible. Oh, you're such a dweeb. <laughs> so good. And now one of my top favorites. Because he is gay, Raymond has been put through hell by his colleagues. May him, quite frankly, look exactly like you. So, yes, That's really I decided good. a long time ago that just because I love Raymond doesn't mean I have to love the people he works with.
1: Good solve, detective. That's early. That's a really good one. Oh, my goodness. That's such a meaningful, such a meaningful scene. Yeah, those are great impressions. Well done. Thank you, sir. Better get some corticosteroids um, to treat that laryngeal fracture. I was just going to say that one. Better get some corticosteroids to treat that, that laryngeal fracture. That's so good. Oh, my goodness. You do know all these lines. Yep, that's because I've watched these episodes
0: so many times. And because I've actually been trying to make my voice sound as deadpan as that. That's great. Thank you, sir. Now, I believe we're on to our Ask Mr. A Plus segment. That's the segment towards the end of the podcast where the guest
1: gets the opportunity to ask me questions, whatever's on their mind. Oh, great. Okay. I guess my question for you would be, if you were doing something other than what you do right now, other than hosting this podcast... If you had a job or a hobby or something other than one that you actually have, what would that be? What would be something you'd like to try?
0: That's a bit of a tough one. I have been wanting to try Tai Chi for quite some time. Oh,
1: that's a great answer. Yeah. What is it that attracts you to Tai Chi? It's
0: very. It seems very peaceful, and it's a bit of a way to attain inner peace.
1: That's a great answer. Yeah. I studied it... Uh, Awfully long time ago, twenty-five years or more ago, um, in a city called Grand Rapids, Michigan, and um, didn't study it for very long. But the the repetitive and slow nature of the forms that they do is very meditative, and and a yeah. way to sort of put away the anxieties of the day and and your life and just be there, really focusing on tiny gentle slow movements that's a really good answer i thought maybe you were going to say that you would like to be a a train conductor for instance but tai chi is a very good answer well i actually did have some thoughts of
0: wanting to be a train conductor myself um years ago when i was in high school but i not decided not to pursue it because it's too competitive is it and because acting is what i'm really passionate about in terms of a career because i love making people laugh
1: that's so good yeah just like you made me laugh on Michael Schur's work. It's such a blessing to be able to be part of that work. Like, it, there's truly nothing like that. That feeling of um, landing a joke and, and, you know, delivering well and uniquely the, the very smart, very funny writing of somebody that's as good as Mike Shore. Yeah. Um When people laugh at it and when people um, do impressions back to you, as you've just done, it's a wonderful yeah. feeling. I've also noticed that you often wear bow ties. I do, yeah.
0: Whereas I prefer to wear neckties.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it is. Ever since high school, I there's something that's that's called to me about bow ties. They're just a, different enough, and I feel like more expressive somehow than than straight ties. I wear straight ties as well, and obviously I end up wearing a lot of straight ties on television mm-hmm. and in films. But um, yeah. but yeah, something on, on my own. There was a time that I exclusively wore bow ties on on stage and for the thrilling adventure hour and various shows that I Hmm. do. Um, But yeah, I, I love and own lots of bow ties. Right. Whereas I have
0: about like 21 neckties. Is that right? That's a big collection. Do you have any other questions for me? I, just to say thank you so much this has been really fun it's been a lovely to chat with you you're welcome sir thank you so much for being on this podcast I've been so looking forward to
1: interviewing you it's really been nice to chat with you I, I so appreciate it thank you thank you for uh, welcome, watching sir. The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Recreation and all of it and thank no you problem. for sharing with me your impressions of uh, Kevin and Sean so great thank you
0: sir I'm glad you had a great time on this episode thank you so, so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this i really appreciate it it's been nice to be with you
1: thank you